Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. I asked you how you were doing, but you already told me. I don't know how much of that you want to share. <laughs> I just got, like, the world's worst cold. Like, it, um, when I cough, I feel it right down to my toes. <sighs> Yeah, uh, I've been, I've had the strangest like I keep feeling like I'm asphyxiating mm-hmm. because I can't breathe. It has mm-hmm. not been a happy um, last 24 hours, but I'm over the the as, the asphyxiation episodes. Maybe I'll have one on camera though, and that will be interesting for That'll the be exciting. That'll be interesting. Right. Not that interesting. All right, no, let's I'm, avoid that if we can. Okay, hopefully I'll be over this soon. I got my first uh, old-timers hockey game Monday. I don't know if I'll be able to make it. I'm, uh, you know, I'll have to be asymptomatic. But um, I've had yeah. this for about 10 days. I was, if people, um, I've been away cycling in Croatia. Um, great holiday. And, um, but I'm back. And here we go, Bruce. Bruce, I'm back to some, what I consider absolutely essential news from the Edmonton Oilers. Without this, I don't think the Oilers are going to compete this year for the Stanley Cup. And I'm serious about that. I think it's the number one reason by far that the Oilers lost to the Vegas Golden Knights. The Oilers, I think, were a superior team. But they got out-strategized. They got essentially out-coached, which is a hard thing to say. But I think it was the number one reason. And it's, and it's real simple. <clears throat> the Oilers could not solve Vegas's zone defense. It's his own defense that Bruce Cassidy utilized in Boston, which Boston kept last year and was the best defensive team in the NHL by far last year. The same zone defense took the Vegas Golden Knights to the Stanley Cup. The Oilers could not solve it, but the Vegas Golden Knights feasted. They feasted on the Oilers' man-to-man defense. The Oilers gave up, I think it was 3.7 goals a game. Yeah. against Vegas, which is which would put them at the very bottom, like, you know, just the very worst teams in the NHL last year gave up 3.7 goals per game. It was, you know, the players took a lot of heat. Darnell Nurse took a lot of heat. Leon Dreisaitl took some heat, gave some heat to himself. Stuart Skinner took a lot of heat. But really, Bruce, it was the system that let the players down as much as anything else. They didn't necessarily execute their man-to-man system very well right. but um anyway it's changing Derek mm-hmm. Ryan was on orders now last night and I'll quickly read what he has to say then get your your reaction to this um <clears throat> all righty here we go uh Ryan said to Bob Stoffer, and good for Bob for digging into this with Derek Ryan he said um, they're trying out a couple different systems. One is like a neutral zone trap, like LA used against the owners, which is uh, an exceedingly boring way to play hockey, but it's a good way to hold a lead. Um, <coughs> from Ryan, quote, I just think we're trying to limit chance at l- limit goals against. Um, it's how we're going to succeed, how we're going to su- have success, where and when we want to have success, which is in the postseason. Jay Woodcroft has tried to implement these new system changes right away because we know it's a change we need to make. He said that he's played the zone um, man-to-man hockey in junior, mainly played zone as a pro. And then he said, um, uh, he said the the changes aren't just in the neutral zone, but in the D zone. The D zone specifically, we're working on protecting the important areas of the ice. That means more time in the defensive zone because we're holding our zones and our lanes and our position a little more. But those longer lengths of time in our, our zone will be three, theoretically, hypothetically, on the perimeter. Um, he says both man-to-man and zone are useful. Uh, but I think we just want to limit those mistakes that results, result in grade A's. Because in zone coverage, you have layers of protection there. I think of the goal against Vegas. Um, uh, what game was it he asks uh, at home? And um, Stoffer says game six. Six. Where Marsha, game six, where Marsha show ends up in front of our net all alone, a game six tap in. Under a zone coverage, you have your layers of protection there. That doesn't happen. 
that's just one example of a situation where we're trying to limit that. Mistakes are going to happen. It's a game of hockey. It's the highest level that mistakes happen. When those do happen in the D zone, we want to have layers of protection where it doesn't result in the guy all alone in front of our net. Amen, Bruce McCurdy. Amen. What's your comment? Yeah, they had to do something. I mean, last year, the Oilers finished number one in the league comfortably in offense with uh, uh, 325 goals, 24 more than Boston even that uh, won the President's Trophy. Uh, but in goals against, they were smack dab middle of the pack, 17th out of 32. And, you know, that's kind of where they've been for, for too long, even as a competitive team. They, they're rarely... Uh, anything close to a beat on the on the defensive uh, goal prevention side of it, uh, and system is part of it, and I mean just the way the forwards play, like um, uh, like David and Drysaddle play the game fast, as I call it, and uh, what that means is it's just more events per minute that they're on the ice, and some of those events are at the wrong end of the ice. It's just the nature of the beast, so. Uh, a new system will be interesting to see how they adapt to it, to it, both in terms of how they play the game, but in terms of uh, of of um, whether it frustrates them, you know, in terms of their usual style. Uh, I'm on the record, I think, on this podcast as saying one thing I wouldn't mind seeing from the Oilers this upcoming season is McDavid and Dreisaitl with 20 fewer points each but plus 20 more each, which, and by that, I mean at five. Yeah. five. They and should both be plus the, 40. Winning the goal differential battle uh, uh, more convincingly. Yeah. And we just, uh, uh, we just aren't there yet. Uh, uh, Matthias Ekholm, uh, a voice who's been silent in camp so far, but was very noticeable over the summer. One of the things he said uh, was that, the team needs to be a little bit more patient. He says in, in the playoffs, he said, you might have to play a one-to-one game into double overtime before you find a way to win it. And clearly the team took his words to heart because so far they've played two home games and both of them are one-to-one going into overtime. <laughs> <coughs> and frankly, were, were uh, to me, fairly boring games. I mean, yeah, obviously you haven't got the full teams and stuff, but even the game the other night where the orders had the top six intact, uh, they were, um, uh, they played a pretty conservative style and I think that's going to be the way. And the idea is I think you keep events to, to, uh, uh, a lower number, as Ryan says, you might spend more time in your own zone, but that's fine. If that time doesn't include Jonathan March or so all alone in front of the net for the tap in, as often as it seemed to in that Vegas series. And patience is, you know, that's veteran hockey. And Matthias Ekholm, who played in uh, Nashville under, he dates all the way back to the Barry Trotz era. He was a rookie the last year that Trotz was there. And then Peter Laviolette and then John Hines that were in uh, Nashville are are known as sort of system and, and defense first coaches. And I'm not, I'm happy with the Oilers coaching staff because I think like many of the players, they are young and learning and it seems they, they should have and will have learned a big lesson from the Vegas series. And it sounds like they're already adjusting to that and, and, and trying to do things differently. And, and, uh, it's something that probably needs to be done. The idea being if you play a one-to-one game, we saw this the other night, you play a one-to-one game long enough, who's going to score the winning goal in that game when push comes to shove? I'll put my money on McDavid and Dreisaitl, you know, converting when they do get the chances. And I just, I think the uh, the style of hockey that we're going to see, though, is going to be a little duller. It, it could well be, Bruce. It could well be. You know, um, Woodcroft came up under Todd McClellan, who, was, who plays the L.A. as a man-to-man team. Mm-hmm. Tampa won the Stanley Cup two years in a row with man-to-man. It, obviously, mm-hmm. this system can work. Yes. Didn't, I don't think it worked for the Oilers' personnel. I don't think it was ever going to work. Darnell Nurse is too aggressive. Mm-hmm. And it brought out that impatience in his game to win the puck. And he would be caught out famous goal against Vegas where he's out, he's following his man, Riley Smith, mm-hmm. out past the blue line. 
and you know they um that guy my guy makes a quick pass and zach white cloud goes in wide open lane for an open shot um leon drysaddle is another guy who was never going to succeed man to man because leon's attention to defense isn't <laughs> it's not strong enough um he he reads the game very well i think this new system is he's going to thrive under it bruce because in this system, the center reads the game. He's, um, if the defensemen stay to their sides, you don't get two defensemen caught in the same corner. Right. Either you're in your corner or you're in front of the net. Mm-hmm. We don't have that horrible 2D in one corner and the center having to cover in the slot, you know, be the last line of defense. But if, if the defenseman gets beat out of the corner, it's up to the center then to read that and to force the guy to the outside, try to cut off his lane to the net, force him to the outside. The defenseman doesn't follow him under the high slot. It's the center's job. I think Leon's going to be really good at that. Connor McDavid was excellent at man-to-man defense. He was the only Oilers center who did not get burned repeatedly by blown um, defensive coverage in man-to-man. He was exceptionally strong. Connor McDavid can play any defensive system he is going to thrive in this defensive system as well. But I really think it's the defensemen who are going to benefit the most. Nurse will have a very structured, simple task. Don't charge all over everywhere to make the play. Cover the front of the net, you know, come down like the hammer of Thor when they get there. He can do that. And um, Evan Bouchard and Cody Cece were often caught out in man-to-man because they got slow boots. And they could not recover fast enough to get back to the front of the net and cover. They are going to benefit from this system as well, as will Matthias Ekholm. I think it, and DeHarnay is built for this system. Yeah. Marcus Niemelainen. Now, some defensemen, I think Philip Broberg would have is can play man to man. I think he he is uh, adept defensively, a great enough skater yeah. to play man to man. This system may not accentuate his positives but he is a big guy really good defensively so i think he's gonna be i think he could be like mcdavid fine in whatever defensive structure that they bring out i think kulak is the same way kulak can play man-to-man and excel but bouchard can't cc can't nurse can't and ekholm struggled so um i'm really happy about this bruce i just looking at my list of things to talk about and that's it for that topic. So I'm keen to see, I'm keen to see Nurse um, um, learning and sticking to the system. Mm-hmm. I, I think he has the potential of being a very strong defender, yeah. and his uh, uh, um, his chasing of the puck by the man-to-man system is you know it's a real double-edged sword. And we 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 uh, we're on the receiving end of said sword. A few times in the uh, in the postseason last year and and during the season as well for that matter. But uh, I think uh, uh, it, it, he's he's going to be a real key player to watch in all of this to me. And, uh, he could transform his reputation, Bruce. He got eviscerated last year in oil country because he was yeah. running around trying to do too much, making mistakes. I mean, this this was the how many posts did, I wrote I wrote a number of posts on this. Like he's mm-hmm. trying to do too much. And we didn't figure it out. Like we hadn't yet put all the pieces together. You know, we didn't, we weren't talking about zone and man-to-man defense. We just were blaming him. And really it was the system that was asking him in some ways to do this. Now he was over aggressive in the system and he, and he got beat in the system. So the execution's on him, but Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't think, I just think it put, I think he's a, he's a guy who wants to win the game all by himself. And um, he can't. And he's got to play within it. This will help him. I think he's. I think he's going to look better than ever before in his career, playing with Bouchard, who can really handle that puck, make passes. He's just got a real take care of his own front of the net, take care of his corner, move the puck, skate with the puck. We're going to see some really great play, great systems play out of Darnell Nurse this year. I'm excited, and I and um, we're going to see the best of him. I think. Bruce, let's move on. Um, Steve Steos mm. has left the team for the Ottawa Senators. What's the news there, my friend? Yeah, this has been uh, kind of an open secret for weeks slash months that uh, uh, 
there was thought some talk last year that the Oilers were grooming Steos. I'm allowed to use that word anymore. Grooming Steos to become the next general manager of the team, uh, and uh, uh, he was an interesting option. Of course, they, not the only one, uh, but the organization chose to go in a different direction with the uh, uh, addition of Jeff Jackson as the CEO of hockey operations, a new title. And I think from there, the, the writing was fairly on the wall. And all along, there was this talk uh, of Steos uh, having a close connection with the new Ottawa owner, who last year was in the mix as being a potential Ottawa owner. And all last year, people in the know were saying, well, if that guy, uh, I'm trying to remember his name, Come up with Michael Anheuser, but I don't think he's Anheuser. The, the, Andauer, the new owner. <laughs> Andauer, Andauer. Thank you. And uh, and sure enough, he did. The ownership uh, bid did succeed, <laughs> and it seemed from there that it was likely that uh, Steady Steve would wind up in Ottawa, and the addition of Jackson sort of, you know, an extra layer in between sort of made the Edmonton situation a little muddier, and. Uh, he wound up basically following the course that was uh, uh, suspected for him by insiders quite some time ago. And I wish him good luck in Ottawa. He did serve the Oilers as a uh, um, uh, scout in the OHL uh, last year, among other things, in a sort of undefined duties. And last year, the Oilers made their primary draft pick, Bo Aiki, from the uh, uh, OHL. So uh, thanks, Steady Steve, for that. I think we got we got a live one there, and good luck. You know, there's it's the thing the, the world of hockey executives is there's uh, nobody really owns anybody, right? There's no salary cap. There's no rights. People move around, and it just is. Uh, sometimes the right guy is in the wrong place, and then he winds up in the right place, or sometimes he never does. Yeah, he um, he came in as the Jeff Jackson, but never really, they didn't really trust him. <laughs> it seemed like Jackson's come in and he's made a lot of moves, right? Stales came in as the new J- Jeff Jackson. It was kind of like Ken Holland had enough muscle or something to push him to the side. I don't know what kind of power games go on, Bruce. I'm just guessing here. But it, it didn't seem like um, that worked out for Stales coming here. And then they hired Jackson. And he ain't he ain't the man. Suddenly he's just another dude um, in player personnel, and and so good luck to him. He did great in Hamilton. He's a, mm-hmm. obviously a smart, serious hockey guy. The Oilers probably benefited, you know, the Boakey pick. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know that um, not have fans chatting up a storm. You know, uh, they got to play that Hey Bo Diddley song when Boakey's on the ice. I think. Um, Our sweet George Brown. You know, Harlem Globetrotters theme. He was that good. I missed it. I was in Croatia. I didn't see him play. I saw a video from, he's back in the OHL now. He played a shift in three-on-three overtime yesterday where he was just all over the puck and he kept winning it and kept beating guys and taking it to the net a couple of times. Didn't score, uh, but looked fantastic uh, in what was, to my eye, an utterly unstructured sequence three on three is is you know it's 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 not exactly it has to be man to man for one thing and you just don't see uh you know that much structure and i don't see a lot of structure in his game but i see a tremendous amount of potential and he's 18 years old so is he like jordan osterley or is he better than that well he's something like that like he's really really nimble on his skates so just a fabulous skater and he reads the game really well in the, you know, within the uh, context of, of an ind- individual play. Uh, those that are suggesting that he's already better than Philip Broberg or that he should be uh, making the Oilers this time next year, uh, I think they're a little overly optimistic. Like, this is a kid, he's going to need time to develop, uh, but he could develop into something special. So yeah. let's let's give him at least his two years in junior, and then when he's ready to turn pro in training camp 2025, let's you know, I mean maybe he pushes for NHL. Then I'd be surprised. I think you probably also need a, a year of pro in the minor leagues, and then 
2026 mm-hmm. with two years to go on his ELC, <clears throat> then we're talking. Maybe man-to-man defense will be back in fashion by then because the zone <laughs> does favor, like Marcus Niemelainen's stock just went up in the Oilers organization. Marcus Niemelainen played a really good game the other night too. Um, yeah, so, you know, the Jordan Osterley is nothing to sneer at. He's a good hockey player. I guess the top end of that that kind of player is Kale McCarr. You know, so um, there's there's a wide variety of, of these fast skating, unbelievably good um, um agile um, defenseman who can use their edges and make plays and we'll see where he ends up in the end. All right, Bruce, moving on. Let what Bruce, what is going on with Philip Broberg? Cause I hear it's two, three, what three games in and there's all this mumbling, grumbling and about Broberg. I mean, um, what's happening? It, it, he, listen, I don't get it because he's, he showed, he plays, he's played a number of games for the Evans honors. We can evaluate him on those games. He's been really pretty good. In a third-pairing role, he, he kind of aced it last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he he can play third-pairing defense and do very well mm-hmm. in the NHL. We I think we already know that. So why all, what's all this? Uh, is it that we, people wish that we had Trevor Zegras and all the head, headaches that that guy brings to your team? <laughs> yeah, him or Matthew Boldy or Cole Caulfield or all well, of the, nice. you know, people are still, still, still relitigating the 2019 draft. That's it, isn't it? Yep, it's still that. <clears throat> and I mean, last week, the, the people were talking about Bo Wakey being a good draft pick and the topic immediately turned from not, hey, Ken Holland made a good draft pick. To, hey, Ken Holland drafted this guy at 56 and he took Philip Broberg at number eight. What the hell? And it's still relitigating that. And I mean, knock it off. Yeah. Well, it's he's kind a of 22 fair. year old kid. He's still on his entry level yeah, contract. He's still good. breaking into the NHL. It's going to take time. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, uh, my good friend uh, Wood Guy Dar- uh, Darcy McLeod was uh, writing the other day that he he is more or less right on schedule for a defenseman that was drafted from outside of the NHL sort of CHL pipeline, a European defenseman. And sure, there might be the odd Miro Heiskanen out there that breaks in at 21 and impresses hell at everyone. And he's not that guy. Uh, he also didn't go fourth overall. He went eighth overall. Big difference, you know? too. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, give the guy a chance. I mean, but there's, there's some – there's – this faction out there that wants to just brutalize Ken Holland for everything, uh, even before all the facts are in. Let's patience. It's called, you know, five years. Like give give a kid five years. My friend Low Tide says, I say, which isn't quite the same, but close. Give him to the end of his ELC, which might be four years for an older draft pick or five, and then we have a better idea what we got. He is this year making eight hundred and sixty three. Uh, on the cap and he and Vincent DeHarnay are the only two of the seven projected defensemen on the team who are below $2.75 million. And this idea that, you know, they need to move on from him and bring in another four or five or $7 million top four defenseman, it just doesn't add up. You got to have value somewhere in your roster. And if you're paying a third pairing defenseman under a million dollars a year, uh, that's, you know, it's not the end of the world. I mean, ideally you'd love him to be a first pairing defenseman. Well, he's not yet, but uh, give him at least a chance. Turning on a 22 year old kid. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think that is good fanning at all. I think it's fair when you point out, um, the GMs, other players drafted lower um, are doing better. Fair enough. That's a they're fact. They're forwards, too. Yeah, they're forwards. So this is all fair. But to take it out on the player, that's where yeah. it's always bothered me, Bruce. Yeah. That's where I think, like, watch the freaking games and evaluate this player in the context of players like him um, and um, do that and make your assessment based on that. And and as you say, like this is where Oscar Clefbaum was when he had a breakout year. Um, he got pushed in a little faster because he came onto the yeah. Dallas Aikens Oilers that didn't even have four good defensemen, so he went right into the top four in the second half of his fourth year from draft plus four years. So really, right up to sort of mid-season last year, Broberg and Clefbaum's development paths were almost identical. 
And in the second half of his fourth draft plus four year, Clef uh, got the push, <clears throat> and uh, uh, he he played okay on a team that was terrible. In some ways, I like bro. Like I like bro. Like the players at the same age, I really like Broberg's defensive ability, his quick feet and ability to stick in front of a player who's breaking down on him, even really fast players. Man, the Oilers really don't have that guy. Mm-hmm. And those guys are rare. There's probably about 10 of them in the NHL. And, um, you know, there's there's Makar and Morrissey. And um, these defensemen who are capable of, of doing that, wow. So if he becomes that player, it's gonna, that's going to still turn out to be a, that's a golden draft pick. Now he might not. He might not work out. We'll see. Bruce, the big battle for the last line of the center position. People are um, also um, <laughs> eating their hearts out, or that's not the right word. <laughs> They're in, <laughs> insane with rage. Um, that uh, Sutter, Brandon Sutter, might make the team. <clears throat> I see that as well. So mm-hmm. here's here's what I saw with Brandon Sutter. Um, someone who's really smart. Um, someone who who is like will make solid plays, smart plays with the puck. Someone who understands defensive hockey, but someone who might be too slow to execute. And I'm not convinced that he's going to be fast enough. I think he thinks the game fast enough, but his feet have got to catch up to things. Is that your cat over there? Mm-hmm. Encroaching? Cat encroachment? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that he's fast enough. So I can I can see the criticism of that. But let's just, he hasn't been in the end. He's getting over COVID. Um, long COVID. COVID long COVID. And back. apparently it was a nightmare that he, he was having trouble breathing for two years. So, it you know, it was a pretty serious onset of it. And he seems to be through it. I saw him interviewed uh, the other day and he was just happy to be here, you know, at the... The old uh, um, uh, uh, Crash Davis approach, and he uh, um, he's slow, and that's probably going to be the 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 decider. Uh, but he's smart, as you say. He's experienced. He's in the right place a lot. I noticed he's quite competitive with stick on puck. That yeah. you know, when there's a scramble, he gets the stick in there and on the puck, and uh, you know, it doesn't make it easy on the other guys at minimum. And, I mean, we're talking about 4C here, right? Right shot, penalty killing. I mean, checks the boxes, but he's no longer 28 or even 31 years old. He's 34, and he's been away from the game for two years. I still personally anticipate a a situation that we saw with uh, Jason Demare last year. Where he plays in camp. Uh, They don't have to waive him because he's not signed. And they offer him a, a you know a 25 game PTO down in the American League to uh, you know to continue to work his game into shape and give him give the team an idea of what what uh, where he's at without having to take a huge risk like uh, uh, I mean one alternative and this is what got some people up in arms is you might have to waive Raphael Lavoie to make room for a veteran player like any of the PTOs and a 23 year old. Uh, forward who's progressed like Lavoie, who's a, you know six four with a booming shot, and you know some <clears throat> some uh, you know toughness in in his game. You don't want to be given up on that player, and I don't want to be given up on that player. At the same time, having PTOs in camp and giving them a look, I don't really see a big problem with that unless they're Kirill Tulipov and they're trying to kill their teammates. <laughs> that wasn't you know, a PTO. <laughs> A camp invite, I guess he was. With all the zone defense the orders are going to face this year, Bruce, they're going to need some guys who can fire that puck from the outside and score. Because that's what the zone gives up, time and space on the outside. Yep. And you need players who can really hammer it Mm -hmm. dangerously at the net. And Lavoie might be one of those guys. Leon Dreisaitl and Bouchard, of course. McDavid, Kane. Nurse has a good outside shot, but you, you're going to need some players down the lineup too who can really freaking fire that puck at the net because that shot's going to be there. And um, 
I haven't seen Lavoie play in, you know, in a while. You know, um, he looked I, good in Winnipeg. He, played, he yeah. only played the one Winnipeg game so far, and the Oilers sent a, a weak, uh, a weak group, and they got clobbered eventually. But they actually had first two periods weren't bad, and Lavoie, I thought he showed pretty well in that game, and he showed not just, uh, you know, not just the shot, but he also, you know, he was he was physically a force in that game, banging on the boards, and there was a play where uh, he. Winnipeg was trying to break out, and um, Lavoie came uh, and stole the puck from the Winnipeg player just inside the Jets' blue line. And then big uh, Logan Stanley, like the huge defenseman on Winnipeg, took a run at Lavoie, and Lavoie saw him coming and just put him right on his ass. It was great. Like, he was the biggest guy on the other team. Thought he was hitting Lavoie, and he was the guy who wound up on the ice. And Lavoie was the guy who hung on to the puck and, you know, kept it in the zone. And, you know, just a real small vignette. <clears throat> the kind of decisive puck battle win uh, that you love to see, stealing the puck and then protecting it. And he, so, you know, if he's got an element of that to his game, uh, that works well really on any line, but it, uh, it, just fine to have a guy in the bottom six who can do that and uh, at his size um you know there's there's reasons to be hopeful and he's got some big games coming up in this uh preseason i think woodcroft said he's going to play at least three more games of the remaining five i sure have liked lavoie in the past he's a <clears throat> great big guy fierce uh, he can be fierce. I understand people who've been watching him lately have not necessarily been impressed with his physical play in the AHL. Fierce taking the puck to the net, though, <clears throat> and um, likes to score. So I don't know if he fits, though. Like, is there going to be a fit? Do they need that guy? They have Dylan Holloway. Mm-hmm. You know, they got Warren Fogle. Those are kind of got that's kind of that player as well. It depends what they're looking for. Um, I don't know, Adam Erne, if he's going to, I didn't necessarily. I wasn't. I didn't see much from him, so not sure about that one. Um, oh, there's Lane Peterson. What do you think of him, Bruce? Oh, I like his skating. Uh, I think he's uh, you know, <laughs> he's uh, got good command in that part of the game, uh, but no real skill that stood out in Sean in any kind of way. He's played the two home games so far, and. Uh, you know, he was in frame, uh, but never uh, n- didn't make a lot happen. And again, 4C, it's, you know, that the job of that guy is to tr- usually make sure things don't happen when he's out there, especially bad things. And so he's he's in the mix, but I think it's he's probably a better fit for 1C in Bakersfield. Then yeah, on the Oilers roster, and I, I anticipate he'll get waived successfully, and wind up down in uh, the AHL. He reminded me a bit of Ryan Potoni, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not that's damning with faint praise. But Ryan Potoni played on a in the NHL on a bad Oilers team, but kind of a g- decent-ish offensive player who maybe doesn't have the defensive chops. Mm-hmm. To make it as a three C in the NHL, McLeod and Ekholm are apparently coming back. And Bruce, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Sutter, um, mm-hmm. Lavoie, um, Peterson in the context of fit for an NHL team, because some people are all about the skill. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to—I'm going to refer to a thread by David Johnson at Hockey Analysis on X, mm-hmm. who is the form, former analytics guy with the Flames, right. and he pointed out a very interesting interview with um, Sam Ventura, Buffalo Sabres VP of Hockey Strategy and Research and Analytics guy. So I'm just going to read Johnson's thread, try to get through it here without coughing too much. Johnson says, quote, first, Ventura's comment on the gap between publicly available data and privately Mm -hmm. available data, quote from Ventura, I think it is a pretty big gap, frankly. I agree here, not only is the event Uh, level data better but as sam points out he has access player puck tracking scouting reports etc so we often see people making decisive comments based on the publicly available stats i always shake my head bruce 
the NHL teams all have better data. Even the teams that are, haven't been big into analytics like the Oilers have had better data than is available in the public. It's more granular. It focuses on things that more that are more at the heart of the game than Corsi and Fenwick, which are always meant as proxy stats to figure out who's involved in the scoring chances. That's what they were. That was the purpose of those stats to figure out who is involved in scoring chances. Well, there's actually they're tracking that, you know, and they have that information in the NHL teams. So um, uh, continue on with Johnson. Earlier in the interview, Ventura talked about how his enhanced data changed what he thought he knew from his war on ice days and that the intuitions of hockey people were more often than not correct. Ventura, quote, one thing I learned in hindsight, in hindsight was that a lot of what I thought I knew at the time when I started working in hockey was wrong. And a lot of what they thought they knew, their intuitions were right. It wasn't until we got better data and really spent a lot of time studying that better data that we were able to really figure out that a lot of the things that we thought we knew actually weren't true. Bruce, I've been saying this about Corsi and Fenwick and that kind of analysis for more than a decade now. Amen. And good for Ventura for admitting it. These stats are, they give you some information. Yep. I, I will not take that away from the people who invest heavily in these stats. And the, and the X goals for are a slight improvement over that over Corsi and Fenwick oh, and yeah. trying to determine who's involved in scoring chances and who are not. But it's not up to what the NHL teams have. It doesn't zero in on the on the individual play in in the way. And and Ventura is now saying that here here is a guy who was on War on Ice. This is one of the main you know stat sites for that kind of analysis. And he's right. saying they were great. <laughs> he was saying we're getting it wrong. And I just want people to have that in mind. Like so, Michael Parcati, the new Oilers. Um, um, analytics guy comes from the same school as Ventura. To me, I'm glad they made the hire. Mm -hmm. And I hope Parcati has the humility of, of Ventura to learn. And maybe he's already moved on. Like maybe he's already well past this. I, I can't say. Mm -hmm. But I found Michael Parcati to be pretty strident in the past and often wrong because he puts so much weight on these stats. And I'm hoping that he grows, he learns, he gets better. Mm -hmm. I think he will, Bruce. You, Look at our work. We've improved our work in the last decade immensely. We know a lot more about what we do know and don't know compared to a decade ago. And I think Michael Parcati's in the same camp. He's a very smart man. He is. I think he can do an excellent job. I'm glad they made that hire. I think it was a really good idea. I just think, um, you know, people have got to realize the limitations of that work. And it would help people online when they're making their writing their long stories about this, that, 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 or blogging about it. Like NHL people have moved way past this. They don't believe in it. They don't use it for the kind of analysis they're doing to trade players. So keep that in mind. That's yep. my rant. Yeah. Well, Warren and I, they were, uh, they were probably my favorite of all the sites that have come and unfortunately gone over yeah. the years. And the other one that's very high on my list is David Johnson's own site, hockeyanalytics.com or CA. That was uh, so great on, on uh, its organization of counting stats, right? Of course, he Fenwick, uh, what have you. This was even before expected goals. And of course, his site went dark the day he, he joined the Flames. And I'm not sure what he'll come back with. But uh, uh, the, the other aspect, David, of course, analytics itself has, has grown and developed over the years. It's not just, of course, he and Fenwick anymore. There's a lot more to it. And as you say, expected goals is one thing where they, they're trying to weave in quality to quantity. Yeah. You know, right. I, I, Which is what we've tried to do, right? Why we, yeah, it's why absolutely. we don't look at every kind of scoring mm -hmm. chance shot. We focus on the grade A shots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing that's changing, and we really don't know yet what impact it's going to have is the, uh, is the chip data that they're collecting from, yeah. you know, from the puck and from players, you know, of, you know, how fast they're skating, who's going where. And the other thing that we don't have, and you and I don't have compared to, you know, people working for the Oilers, for example, is knowledge of exactly what is the system, Right. 
Like we're guessing in some cases of who made a mistake based on what we saw on the ice. And as you say, that, you know, that one example of nurse chasing the guy out to the blue line, well, out to the blue lines, maybe a, a bit much. Um, but if he was following the system, is it his fault or is it the system's fault? Well, you he know, still got beat no matter what, right? Yeah, well, he yeah, he got picked but by Fogel and, and Skinner got beat there. from the yeah. face-off dot by a by a defenseman's wrist shot. Yeah. And to me, that was the mistake on that play. You you the, the replay is right in your article and you watch it, and even the announcer says he shouldn't be getting beat from there. But anyway, that's well, the trouble with isolating on one or two plays. It's more what happens on an ongoing basis. Are the defensemen chasing too much? And I'd say, yes, they were. And so, anyway, the the people that are analyzing on behalf of the team, the video coaches and so on, uh, they have a real more detailed idea of what's expected from the players based on what the coaches are asking them to do. And uh, uh, whereas we're um, uh, we don't have that direct knowledge, and so there's uh, um, uh, you know there's a bit of a missing link, even as you know we do our very best to to uh, identify and as you know uh, identifying defensive uh, is by far the tougher half of the equation as opposed to who was involved in a scoring chance for the team right you can pick out the guy who made the pass who took the shot who screened the goalie you know who caused the turnover or what have you on the defensive side the other guys have got the puck and you're reacting to it and it's a little bit tougher to judge who's doing what correctly so uh, that's um, that's that's another aspect of it. Sure is. It is tough. We've had many debates over players and <laughs> <clears throat> who's responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to have a little bit more knowledge. I think we're we're getting better at it. We're yep, getting more absolutely. knowledge about systems. And um, um, Johnson, I'll just finish with a couple more things he said. He, um, David Johnson, formerly of the Flames. Um, public data is useful to some degree, but only at a high level. With private data, you can identify individual attributes that a player does well, not just infer whether the player is good or not. And once you start identifying individual player strengths and weaknesses, you can apply that information to team building by identifying your team's overall strengths and weaknesses. This is so much more valuable than this guy is better than that guy. (coughs) So you've often talked about team building in terms of the morale of the team, in terms of... um, uh, Holland giving a fair shake, but this is another aspect of team building, filling, um, filling various needs on the team, like for a checker, absolutely, for a defensive player. You know, I think Matthias Janmark is, has been grossly underrated in Edmonton um, because maybe I don't know his course or X goal for numbers, but and I don't particularly care about them, but he is a solid defensive player. He is the best defensive winger I've seen in Edmonton. Since Fernando Persani, I think, and um, on the penalty kill and checking, he could be he could be an anchor on a third line that helps you win the Stanley Cup. So I think that this is what Johnson's talking about: is just you know analytics are good, but you need the right numbers, you need the right assessors, you got to get it all right, and um, or you're or you're going to uh, be basing your strongly held opinions on faulty information, and and uh, people are going to disagree with you. So. Well, you need balance, and that's for sure. You know, you know, you need different guys to do different things. And there's, there's some stats where David, I would frankly be right in the middle of the pack, than on either extreme of it. And those are things like block shots, penalty minutes, hits. You know, you don't want to be a, a passive team. On the other hand, you don't want the other guy to have the puck all the time, which is some part of what those stats tell you is who, who, who's trying to create offense uh, and so too much or too little is a bad thing when the middle of the pack is is uh, is all right but you want to also have balance across your team right do the Oilers need to go and bring in another power player or do they need another penalty killer at this point in time I'm pretty happy with the power play and the penalty kill you know so Matthias Janmark is a pretty good penalty killer, and he, you know, he's going to uh, he's going to play a role uh, uh, on that unit. And they're looking. For, that's why they're even looking at Brandon Sutter. Is that he brings things that are lacking, and he's um, 
you know, I think the odds are against him, but I understand why they're looking at him. This is the problem for Raphael Lavoie. He doesn't kill the penalties. He never has. Mm-hmm. And um, Xavier Bargo, who is in direct competition with Lavoie, kills penalties. He's been killing penalties um, in the AHL. And it's just like... And he's good at it. Yeah. It's a huge difference uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the talent stack that the player brings to the team. Yep. You know, um, Lavoie, Clean Costin found a way to make a similar, not the same, talent stack work yeah. by providing opportunistic scoring and big hitting and solid enough defensive play. Chason was the same kind of player in his own way. He could score and hit. So there is there is a the, an opportunity. That kind of player can help a good team. Mm-hmm. We've seen it already with two different players. So Lavoie could make the team and he could help. But... A player who can score and also then kill penalties, because um, Costin and Chason could not do that. Right. Um, that's just one more thing mm-hmm. that helps out. And then if if you're a center and you can actually play defensively at center, and this is where I have real questions about Sutter. We've seen lots of older centers come in like Belanger and Gordon and on and on and on who couldn't defend. Um, at the center position anymore <clears throat> and and cost the orders tons of goals against um because they were just too slow and that's what i'm worried about with sutter so i i i I, lo- I, lo- I love your suggestion of giving this guy a pto on the ahl and have him go down there and um have one last kick of the can there and maybe he works out and maybe he actually is what you need in the playoffs um mm-hmm. Because his skating and its conditioning picks up, that would be a fantastic story, and I hope to see it happen. And um, just to get back to Michael Parcati, I want to do stress like fantastic story that the Oilers are addressing this area, um, mm-hmm. building a team. I don't think he'll be the last hire. I think they should hire more people. Oh, obviously, yeah. video. I don't know if video tracking is his strength, or or uh, you know, I don't really know his talent stack. Um, they just hired someone specific for that as well. The, the, yeah. The assistant, uh, what they call him? Uh, well, I'm talking about I'm, I'm actually coaching talking, analytics and. Yeah, like I'm that. talking about the the numbers they're getting from the chip. Right. Um, okay. That all of that that mm-hmm. ma- you know mammoth amount of data that they're getting in and analyzing that properly. So I'm glad they're putting together a team, and I wish uh, Michael well. And he he's clearly a really sharp guy, smart guy. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. could well, he was oh well he was uh, the uh, can't remember his exact title I mean with the orders he's manager of data and analytics and with Epcor he had a similar title you know out in the real world and you know with uh, uh, adding you know layers of information to the management decision making process there and the one thing that. Uh, uh, I know Michael personally. I, I think he's very good at um, uh, explaining and kind of making the connection of what the numbers mean. And that's a huge disconnect in, and has been with the Oilers, I think, over the years. That, that the uh, uh, getting the getting the data is one thing, but explaining it to to other folks that maybe are less math inclined is often where where things fall apart uh, especially when you're dealing with the 200 hockey men and Oilers are making big progress there I think Brad Brad Holland credit were due he's uh, he was sort of the first breath of change in the Oilers uh, approach towards analytics and now they've added uh, well Jeff Jackson and uh, Michael Parcati and they're starting to become a critical mass of people who you know understand that it is part of a larger picture it's not the be all and end all and it's but on the other hand ignore it at your peril you know get as much information mm. as you call it. quit calling it analytics and start calling it information that's one thing and and uh, uh, you know use it but use it judiciously and use it within a, a hockey context that the coach the players you know everyone sort of on the same page with and and 
communications from the numbers guys, not always a strength, uh, and it needs to be. And uh, I think for uh, for Mike Parcati, it is a strength. So good. That's good to hear. Maybe the 200 hockey men who were sneered at in Edmonton by the analytics crowd weren't so <laughs> stupid. Weren't so stupid after all. I mean, that's what Sam Venture is saying. Right. No, I hear that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, you know, Roger Nielsen started doing video review and scoring chance analysis in the 70s. Dave Tippett did it. A lot of these guys had highly granular, um, useful information at their fingertips, which probably directly contradicted what they were hearing on the internet from from some people. And, um, you know, so good for the... Um, Good for those guys. Now, so now that Sam Ventura has had his moment, I'm just waiting for Tyler Dello to come to have his uh, mea culpa and say, you know, when I was so sure, 100%, viciously aggressive that I was uh, correct all that time, I was actually wrong uh, now and then. That would be interesting to hear. I, I wonder if we'll ever hear that, Bruce. Be, I doubt it. Well, Tyler's but, uh, in uh, New Jersey now. Yes. So that's it's right. a long way away. And... Uh, uh, to be fair, the Devils are absolutely crushing it in terms of their rapid rise up through the ranks. And they are going to be a very strong contender in the immediate years to come. So part of it is, you know, cashing a couple of first overall draft picks. But uh, the Orders had that opportunity too over the years, you know. And anyways, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're a club on the rise and a team I'm watching with great interest because of that connection. Uh, Tyler was obviously a very smart guy, but mm-hmm. he had uh, abrasive uh, for sure. Yeah, and, and too and too much faith in numbers, which were he was putting yeah. too much faith in numbers, which were inadequate to the claims he was making on them. But he had he had the right mindset in some mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. to um, to do well, and so good for him. Yeah, well, um, he's, a, he's a dad now, so it's not just all about uh, data and numbers. You know, there's there's a certain black art to it. <laughs> well, they've got judiciously um, using it. I don't know if he was involved in the drafting of Luke Hughes, but that guy is—he is unbelievably uh, talented. Luke, Luke. <laughs> Luke is unbelievably talented skater and uh, puck handler. We'll see how he turns out at the NHL level. But man, I was impressed with uh, Luke Hughes um, in the World Junior Tournament. So if Tyler was involved in that. Kudos to Tyler Dello. Um, you know, I don't know how far his reach goes, but he always loves skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always loves skill to give him credit. Awesome. And yeah, maybe, and maybe he's involved in amateur drafting in some significant way. We don't know that or, or, or not. So, um, all right, Bruce, I know you got to go. So um, let's leave it there. Thanks for talking today. All right, game time tonight and tomorrow night, and we'll have uh, our usual coverage at the Cult of Hockey um, on, you know, on our site. Uh, we'll get into post-game podcasts when the regular season starts. But it's uh, it's nice to get caught up. All righty. Thanks again, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.